Today I'd like to continue our study in the book of Daniel. Uh, I am doing my best to make this the most applicable um, 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 series of messages I could possibly can. If you remember last week, we looked at chapter 1 and we called it the assimilation of our children. We, we noticed that um, the, the techniques used to uh, assimilate to the, the Jewish children were something that are, are tactics that uh, are very much expected. Uh, there was no big surprises. The first step was to uh, remove children from their parents. The second was to indoctrinate them. And then the, sec- the third thing was to absolutely saturate them in the culture. Sounds like what's going on today. And this message, what I'd like to do is I want to look at chapter two, but I also want to make an application to our present day. Um, and I entitled it Truth or Consequences. I'm guessing anyone under 60 has no idea what that title means, but there was a game show television and the radio and television for years with that title. And uh, I've chosen that title because I think it's very applicable, especially for the first 20 or so uh, verses of chapter 2. So with that, let's just get into the book. Uh, Open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. Let me start with the first three verses. Chapter 2, verse 1. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king and the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. <clears throat> what happened was, is, is Daniel was just, uh, I'm sorry, not Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was uh, uh, the king. Now, the, the way he became king, it, it, the history of it was he became king in phases. He kind of co-ruled with his father for a little while, but this is when he's now ruling on his own. And during that time, he was uh, troubled by some, uh, some nightmares or some, some very bad dreams. And it so disturbed him that he woke up one morning and he says, okay, I want all my wise men. So he got all his wise men, and he says, send them to me because I need to know what this dream means. Okay, from there we'll continue forward. I'm in verse 4. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known unto me the dream... With the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if thou, I mean, if ye show me the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. This is pretty, pretty, pretty wild, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar got to a point where he was getting very frustrated with his advisors and his counselors. And he said, uh, he said, listen, either you do this or I'm going to kill you. Now, that's one of the problems with uh, ultimate power, isn't it? When you have that kind of ultimate power. He got to the point where he thought he was a god and he had rule. There was no checks and balances in his reign and his control. And he just made the decree. You don't tell me, I'm going to kill you. All right? 
So imagine being these Chaldeans standing in front of a king that made this kind of proclamation. You might be a little scared, right? Okay, well, this is what they responded. Verse 7, they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show the interpretation of it. Now, now, what they're doing is, is they realize that not only do I have to give the interpretation, but I got to tell them what the dream is. And they come back to him a second time, says, well, well tell us the dream. Now, Nebuchadnezzar already made it pretty clear. I want both a description of the dream and the interpretation or I'm going to kill you. And these wise men say, well, give us the dream. Verse 8, the king answered and said, I know of a certainty that you would gain the time because ye see the thing is gone from me. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation thereof. He got pretty much tired of these people, just the rhetoric. And he says, listen, he says, you're just going to spin some kind of yarn in order to convince me that you are really have the ability to interpret this dream. I want you to describe the dream to me first and then interpret it for me. Okay. Let me keep on going here. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered before the king and said, there is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, or ruler that has asked such things as any of any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. You know, basically what they just did in verse 10, they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're being unreasonable. Now, how do you think that's going to fly? Okay, well, let's find out. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that than can show it before the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause, the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Okay, let's, let's stop and talk here for a second, because this is what I want to make an application. He got to the place where he just got fed up. He was sick of their rhetoric, and he said, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Just kill them all. Do you realize he judged them, and he sentenced them, and he said, that's it. Now, what I'm going to propose to you is we're going to hear from Daniel in a little bit. And one of the things we just learned in chapter 1 is when they graduated from their college, they went before King Nebuchadnezzar, and King Nebuchadnezzar was very impressed with Daniel and his three friends, Right? And he says, you are 10 times wiser than all the rest of what I got. And I'm sitting here, I'm scratching my head and I go, Nebuchadnezzar, if you really want to know this and you've got this select group of four that are 10 times better, why did you ask the second hand fiddles and why don't you go right to the main source? But he did it. And when he did it and he got this feedback of saying, give me the dream. And he said, no. And then he said, you're being unreasonable. And he said, I'm going to kill you all right now. I mean, the decree was made for Daniel and everybody. I had enough of these wise men. First of all, that's the kind of fury he had. But he never gave Daniel a chance to interpret the dream. Daniel was already sentenced to death. 
And the next time, in the next couple verses, when we pick up, it's the sheriff coming with an arrest warrant to put the handcuffs on Daniel and carry him to the execution chambers. He never got a chance to talk. Okay, I want to make an application. Okay? This may seem like a stretch. But I believe in the culture we live, many of our non-Christian friends and neighbors and co-workers have gotten to the point where they've lumped all Christians together and saying, I don't want to hear anything from any of you. Does that sound like a pretty accurate statement? Yeah. And even though we might be different, we got lumped in with the rest of them. Amen? They don't want to hear anything. So my question to you is, how do we as Christians, we're going to look at Daniel, how does Daniel, as a wise person, get to a point where he at least gains an audience with Nebuchadnezzar that's already sentenced him to death? How can we as Christians gain an audience with people that have already written us off as Christians? Because there's a lot of crazy things Christians have said. Amen? But we get lumped in with them, guilty by association. How do we conduct ourselves so we don't get lumped in with everyone else? How do we conduct ourselves so that we can gain an audience, which Daniel does? How do we do that? Okay? That's what I want to get out of this. Now, let's go back to chapter 1 just for a second. And do you remember, I already said that the tactics... Babylon used to assimilate the, not only the Jewish boys, it's everyone they captured. The tactics were pretty predictable. But what happened was, is the response of these four young men were not common. First of all, they were steadfast in their faith. But as they were steadfast in their faith, they were also incredibly respectful. Did you notice that last week? Did you know how they responded to the prince of the eunuchs? Do you know how they responded to the RA, the, the hall monitor, right? Did you know how they responded to the king? It was tremendous respect. They didn't budge, but they did it with respect. And Daniel is going to do the same thing, okay? All right, so let's keep on going. Did I get all the points I want? Somehow... I want to conduct myself in a way that earns the respect so I don't get lumped in with maybe some hypocritical things that they've experienced in the past. Matter of fact, one thing that I did, getting ready for the sermon, yesterday I got on the internet and I said, I looked up top reasons non-Christians resist Christianity. Number one was Christians are too judgmental. And I had to laugh. They were judging us to be too judgmental. Only one person laughed at that. Well, then the second one you'll laugh. The second was, is they're too hypocritical. Like, you know, judging people for being too judgmental. That's being hypocritical. Christians are too hypocritical. Number three, we're too old-fashioned. Number four, we're too political. And number five, the tenets we believe are basically found in any other religion. How can we walk in a way that they don't lump us with those five things? Well, I think Daniel does 
a pretty good job. And I think that'll give us a little bit of wisdom of how we can conduct ourselves so when we go in and out the world, and whether it be the hardware score or at a school where you're going or co-workers or whoever you're working with, okay? So let's keep on going. We're still in Daniel 2, and now I'm picking up in verse 13, okay? <clears throat> and the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Now, now, can you meet me? Again, try to imagine being Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're sitting there, and they're, they're in their dorm rooms. I think they graduated, so they're no longer in dorms. They've got a home now. So they're in their home, and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door, and it's the sheriff, and he's got a arrest warrant. And he says, okay, we're taking you off. What for? That's exactly what happens. What for? Well, a decree's been made to kill all the wise men. Well, let's, let's keep on reading. Verse 14, then Dan, he, knocked on, he, he answered the door, and Daniel answered the counsel of the wisdom of Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, it's not fair. I never had a chance. No. He says, why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Now, I want you to point something out. One of the things that Nebuchadnezzar got angry at his wise men is they wanted more time. And Daniel asks for more time and he gets it. What was the difference? What was the difference? You think just God sovereignly working? I think it was probably more than that. I think at that moment, when this sheriff comes to arrest him, sheriff knows Daniel's reputation. And it, basically Daniel says, hey, can I have a chance to interpret this thing? I'll give you an interpretation of it. So he reports back to the king. And can you imagine the sheriff coming back to the king saying, Nebuchadnezzar, I got someone that can interpret it. His name's Daniel. Do you think something? Oh, I remember Daniel. He's that wise guy that's 10 times wiser than everybody else. God blessed him socially, physically, mentally, spiritually. I'll hear him. But by the way, he wants a night to pray for his God. And Nebuchadnezzar says, okay. Okay, let's go back to our parallel. Someone has written you off as one of those crazy Christians. I don't want to hear anything about God. I don't want to hear anything about sin. I don't want to hear anything about repentance. And they come to you and he says, I got this lifestyle and who are you to tell me how to live my lifestyle? And you'll say, can I talk to you? And, and, and maybe it's like Jesus Christ with that woman caught in adultery in John 8. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but knock it off. That lifestyle's going to kill you. Do you understand? Was that judgmental? Was that hypocritical? Was that old-fashioned? No, that woman knew everything he was saying was exactly right. 
there's a way we can interact with our folks where we can still hold our faith, we can hand our, still our ground, but do it in a way that's still respectful. And I believe Daniel did something the other wise men couldn't. Number one, he gained an audience, and number two, he bought himself time to pray with God. Okay, let's keep on going. Verse 16, then Daniel went in and dis- desired the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Verse 17, this is the thing you should always do before a great big trial. He prayed. And matter of fact, he not only prayed by himself, he got a little prayer meeting going. He asked his friends to pray. Then, I'm in verse 17, then Daniel went to the house and made the thing known to Hananiah, to Mishael, and to Azariah, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and their Jewish names, his companions, that they would desire mercies of God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish, and the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, Brother Andrew, you asked for these names. I'll cover that next Sunday in week three, okay? So I'm going to hold that. I want to stay with my thought today. Verse 19, then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he's going to make a prayer. I find it real interesting that in verse 21, 22, and 23, this is the prayer of thanksgiving. Scripture recorded the prayer of thanksgiving, not the prayer of request. I just thought that was interesting. And I went through this prayer of thanksgiving. And you know what I found? I found In these three verses, I found 15 Old Testament quotes. Seven from Psalms, five from Job, one from Isaiah, one from Exodus, and one from Genesis. Can you imagine there's three verses, there's 15 quotes? There's only one. I don't know how, the Bible says in Hebrews to go boldly before the throne of God. I thought I'm supposed to go real timidly. The only way I know how to go boldly before God is when I'm praying God's word, when I'm quoting scripture. And there's only one way you can do that. You got to read it once in a while. And you got to meditate on it once in a while. I got a hint. It's more than once in a while. And so covered with scripture was Daniel that it's, it's just like when he opened his mouth he just he just scripture came flying out it's like he bled scripture and when he's praying this prayer of thanksgiving there's seven quotes from psalms five from job and the other three are there too so let's let's read this now i'm not going to go match them all up if you want that i can give you the notes later on but but, but this is where it is So this is his prayer of thanksgiving. Not the prayer request, the prayer of thanksgiving. And he changes, excuse me, this is Daniel praying to God, saying thank you after he's been granted not only a description of the dream, but the interpretation of the dream. And he's got it. He says, I got it. I'm going to go to Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to face the king. Thank you, God, for giving this me. Because if you didn't, bad things would have happened to me and my three friends. And he changes the times and the seasons. That's God. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. That's God. He giveth wisdom unto the wise. 
Wisdom only comes from one place, right? And knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. That's God. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth in him. That's God. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Lord, thank you so much for giving me the dream and giving me the interpretation of the dream. That's one thing that the wise men got right. Only gods can do that. The problem was is they had the wrong gods. It was the God. Okay, so let's keep on going. I'm still in Daniel 2. Let's pick up in 24. Daniel is going to go walk up to Nebuchadnezzar now. Therefore, Daniel went in unto Arioch, <coughs> whom the king, <coughs> excuse me, who the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. You know, I think that's pretty interesting. He says, Stop killing the wise men. I got it. I got, you know, that order you got? Cease and desist right now. Stop killing people, including my three friends. I'm going to go tell them this. Okay. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. Now, as I read this, I kind of get a little feeling that Arioch is trying to grab a little good of glory. He says, look, I found a guy that could do this. No, he found you. Right? The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, that was his Babylonian name, art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? I want both. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king hath demanded, cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king? This is kind of like Captain Obvious, right? Now, 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 these guys couldn't do it, right? And Nebuchadnezzar, yeah, these guys couldn't do it. Well, you know something? I couldn't do it either. But the Lord Jehovah could, and he told me, I'm taking no credit for this. Okay, verse 28. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and thy visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have, more than any living. But for their sakes, they shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. I'm going to do this but it's not me. Don't take, give me any of the credit for it. It's the Lord God that had mercy on me that shared this thing, okay? I'm no better than these wise men. You know how humble that is? I would want to go there and do the victory dance. Yeah, look what I did, right? I hope I wouldn't do that. There's a part of my flesh that says, why don't you, right? Okay, Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. Now, 
there's there's look, this this dream is 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 really neat stuff. There's a prophecy of the coming kingdoms. There's going to be almost a, there's a parallel account of this in in Daniel chapter seven where we really get into kingdoms. I don't want to do that today. I'll briefly co- cover it. I'll give you a little bit of description. But my goal is to be is applicable to today and our lives as possible. So when we get to chapter 7 and we get to some of these future things, I'll really bear down on it then, okay? But one thing I want to get from this is when you pray, pray Scripture. You know you're praying the will of God when you pray Scripture. It's okay to say, I'm sick. Lord, please heal me. That's perfectly fine, but that's not scripture. God never promised to heal you every single time. So when you come and you say, Lord, you said it's not good for a man to be alone. I'd like a wife. You know what you're doing? You're paying scripture. Got it? It's okay to say, Lord, I'm sick. Please heal me. Pray scripture. That's how we come boldly before the throne of God. Amen? Okay. Okay, here's the dream. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. He saw a man. And I like the, the, the adjectives used to describe this man. Great, bright, excellent, and terrible. <laughs> Think that might make you toss and turn all night long? The great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. For the image's head was fine gold, his breast and arms of silver, his belly and his thighs were brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut without hands, which smote the image of his feet that were of iron and clay and breaking them into pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wood carried them away that no place was found. And the stone that smote the image became great, a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That's just a description of the dream he had. So Daniel comes before Nebuchadnezzar. The wise men couldn't even do that. I don't know. I got this picture of them kind of listening through windows and doors. What's he saying? Right? It's just all my speculation. And he goes and he tells them this thing. And Nebuchadnezzar says, that's the dream I had. Man, that thing made me toss and turn for, for days and days. It just really bothered me. So the fact is, is that God revealed what he dreamed I mean, if, if all of you made up a crazy story, do you think any of you could make up this story? The answer is no. There's only one place this could have come from. That was God, right? And God revealed it to Daniel, and Daniel told it, and Nebuchadnezzar says, that's it. That's exactly what I dreamed. Now, what does it mean? Okay? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on what does it mean, but let me give you the interpretation hereof. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation there before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath revealed thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And whatsoever the children of man dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, 
hath he given into thine hand. He hath made thee ruler of all. Thou art this head of gold. He says, in other words, he's telling him that there's five kingdoms. Okay? And he says, the top one, the head of gold, that's one kingdom. And he says, Nebuchadnezzar, that's you in Babylon. Okay? And after that shall rise another kingdom inferior to thee. The second one would be the Medo-Persian Empire. And the third kingdom of brass that shall bear rule over all the earth, that'll be Greece and Alexander the Great. The fourth shall be strong as iron, that'll be the Roman one. And it'll break into pieces. Verse 41, And whereas thou sawest feet and toes, the potter's clay, part of iron, the, the kingdom shall be divided, um, but there shall be strength of iron for as much as thou sawest an iron mixed with clay. Now we can get into all those prophecies and we'll do that in chapter 7. Okay? And I th- the fulfillments are absolutely amazing. By the time you get down to the chest and you get the two arms and you go, wow, that's metal persian and it had two parts. And when you get down to Rome and you get down to the legs, wow, they had two kingdoms too. They were a split kingdom also. So the body parts line up. And then they fell apart and they broke into seven subdivisions and there's the toes and you just look at that thing and you go, wow, this is wild stuff. And it's told about five kingdoms centuries before it ever happened. Just this fact makes me think, how could anybody in such detail describe these world empires centuries before they ever happened? That, that, that convinces me scripture is authentic. Man could not foretell these things in such vivid details. But I'm just giving you a gloss overview because we'll get into the nitty gritty in chapter 7. <clears throat> okay? But I want to spend a little bit of time on kingdom number 5 because that's the best kingdom. And as the toes of the feet are part iron and part clay, the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, and they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. In other words, Rome tried to do something when they tried to operate. Do you remember when they were operating, they had always had King Herod, which is a pseudo-Jewish king, and then they had Pilate, and they had a government, and they had tried to coexist. That's iron mixing with clay. Their style of management did not work that well, just like you can't get a mixture of iron and clay and have it cohesive and actually form together. Weld iron with iron, okay? Verse 44, And in the days these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break the pieces and consume all the kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut of a mountain without hands, and it break the pieces of iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the kingdom, and shall come to pass hereafter, that the dream is certain and the interpretation is sure thereof. Let me show you this, okay? Here's a little chart I made for you. Hopefully it'll make sense. Five kingdoms, right? Uh, the first four each have a body part. <clears throat> the first kingdom of this, this great and excellent and terrible and bright figure. The head is made out of gold, and that represents Babylon. The second one is the chest and the arms. That's the silver. That's the Middle Persian Empire. The third is the, 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 the belly and the, the, the thighs. That's the, the brass one. That's Greece. The fourth one is the legs and the feet. That's the Rome. That's the iron and the clay. And the fifth kingdom is not a body part. It's a stone that breaks the body part. And what he's saying is he said, this one's going to be different. 
The first four will have ends. The fifth one will not have an end. The fifth one will bust the other ones up pieces. And he's saying this one's the one that's going to endure. You know, in, in Jewish history, they tried. They tried to reign by judges for 400 years, and that never worked. They tried to reign by kings. That never worked. Then they tried to reign by priests. That never worked. And Jesus is going to come, and he's going to set up a kingdom that will stand forever. Because it'll be apart from governments and borders and economies and armies. It's one that'll cover the whole planet. And it'll never have an end until Christ comes back. Okay? So with that, let's go to the last couple of verses, and then I'll make some concluding comments. How are we doing on time? Okay, we're getting here. Okay, let me read verse 46. <clears throat> then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods. Now, I really want to spend some time talking about Nebuchadnezzar at some point later on in this book study. Didn't he basically the same thing and say the same thing in chapter 1? He said, your God is a God of wisdom and a God of kings in chapter 1. Today, he's saying, your God is a God of gods. Poor Nebuchadnezzar, he has such a short memory. Because we're going to go through this whole rigmarole again, chapter 3 and chapter 4, right? We are. When did you figure out God the first time and it stuck? Huh? Did it? No, we've got to be told over and over and over again. In this particular case, he figured out, he says, wow, your wisdom, your God is really something else. But then he got so irate, his, his, his anger got so emotional in him, he just, all reason left him. And the smartest advisors, he, he never even asked them, he just said, kill them all. And he's getting to a point where he's being humbled and he said, wow, you, your God is pretty special. But he's going to be reminded again and again. Okay? Well, it's the same thing with you and your neighbors. You can remind them of Christianity and the good parts of Christianity and you can model the things, but you know what? They're going to forget. But that doesn't give you a license to blow up. Because it took several runs at you to get you converted, didn't it? So we continually be steadfast in our faith, but we continually be respectful. There's no doubt in my mind that when Daniel got the respect of the prince of eunuchs, he was conducting himself in a respectful way. You want to set yourself apart as a teenager? Do that. You want to be called old-fashioned with your view on marriage? Have an exciting marriage. Amen? Don't be yip-yapping at your spouse or about your spouse to other people. They're going to say, that's traditional. I don't want that. Right? Model it. Okay? Your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Verse 48. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many gifts and made him ruler over all whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. What a promotion that was. He's still pretty young, right? And he is going to, the, and I love what he does in the last verse. He says, um, 
I had a prayer meeting that night, and I had three friends that were praying pretty hard for me. He said, can you help them out? Okay. Then Daniel requested of the king that he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Daniel promoted him, but he was looking out for his three prayer warriors. Amen? He never lost sight of who his God was, where his knowledge and wisdom came from, and the people that prayed with him and for him, and will continue to do so. My friends, I hope that gives us a peek in how we should conduct ourselves. Let me wrap up this chapter. I know I went through this chapter really quick, but I really wanted to, to, to spread the way we are viewed by America and the percentage that become non-Christians every couple of years gets bigger and bigger and the people that are Christians are get smaller and smaller, yeah. right? And there's some wild things Christians are doing and saying right now that are contrary to this book and we get lumped together no matter what. We can't fix that, but we can model it. So when we do get a chance to answer, we can. Number one, Nebuchadnezzar, unrestrained anger leads to foolish decisions. That's exactly what he did when he wanted to kill all his advisors, including the smart ones he didn't even talk to yet. Number two, pray in all things. And when you pray, pray, pray scripture. Number three, God is sovereign over kingdoms, over reigns, over governments, over rulers, and time. The times and things are in his hand. And I, 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 I cannot but help but marvel at God, where in chapter one, we, we looked at the prince of eunuchs, the ones that had an affection for Daniel and his friends. God put the right man in the right position at the right time with the right attitude. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. Right? I pray for my children. When they went to college, that they would have the right professor in the right classroom, on the right course, on the right day, with the right attitude. Amen? I pray that they have bosses the right person in the right position with the right attitude. Okay? I pray for that. Emma was in a situation where she didn't have that. After a couple months, she said, can I quit? And I wanted to make sure she wasn't doing it for the wrong reasons. And she went through all the reasons, and I said, okay, what are you going to do? She said, I think I should quit. I said, I think that's a good idea. It was the wrong person in the wrong position at the wrong time. So she quit. Okay? And the other thing is, when you looked at this thing right here, let's go back right there. See that right there? Do you notice those materials? What's going on with those materials as you go from one to five? Yeah, they're less valuable, aren't they? They get less and less and less valuable. But what happens when you get to the stone? You know it's more precious than all those precious metals? The blood of Jesus Christ. You know what's stronger than brass and iron? Jesus' faith and obedience. I'm sticking with the stone. I'm going with the stone on this one. Amen? It's more valuable and it's stronger. And that's the one we're under right now. May the Lord bless us. God bless you. Let's